The psychedelic revolution is here. If you want to integrate your visionary experiences into your purpose, get clear on your entrepreneurial path and help people while you do what you love, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to The Psychedelic Entrepreneur, medicine for these times. I'm your host, Beth Weinstein. I'm a spiritual business coach, three-time entrepreneur, and a lifelong student of psychedelics and sacred plant medicines. You carry your own unique medicine, and your medicine is what we need for these times. This podcast will help you to share your medicine so you can create transformation in the world. Listen in on conversations with psychedelic leaders, change makers, and conscious entrepreneurs who are living proof that a better world is possible when you follow your heart and live in alignment with your soul. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Medicine for These Times. I have Elizabeth Jo with us here. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Beth. I'm excited to be here today. It's so good to have you, and it's so good to meet the other half of Alter States Integration. We were just talking about your event and party that I was um, that I missed at Psychedelic Science because I was in my hotel, my tiny little hotel room, sick. But um, <laughs> but let's get into it. I'll tell the audience a little bit about your background, and then we'll we'll start on the questions. So Elizabeth is a holistic dietitian, nutritionist, and change coach with 15 years of clinical experience. Since graduating from Baster University, she has studied coaching, human behavior, psychology, yoga, flow states, and mindfulness-based therapies. In her free time, she offers peer support in online forums and volunteers at festivals, providing psychedelic harm reduction with Nest, Zendo Project, Fireside Project, Rest Pit, and Sanctuary. Elizabeth co-founded Altered States Integration in 2012 to reduce the barriers accessing integration services. She is a director at Psychedelic Society of Texas and organizes their online chapter. She also has authored Breaking Emotional Addiction, Neurohacking BDP with Ibogaine, detailing her personal healing journey. Elizabeth is passionate about reducing barriers to finding compassionate support for processing non-ordinary states of consciousness, and she's currently studying coaching at Lumia. So Elizabeth, I want to hear all about your background. You know, how did you get to this place of where you're at now, getting into harm reduction, dietitian, um, you know, even a book, which I really want to hear about this, Neurohacking BDP with Ibogaine. Um, but what brought you to this place? And, you know, was it your upbringing and the path that you were on, you know, when you were younger? Um, yeah, this path actually for me did start very young. Um, when I was 13, I actually stole my first um, herbal medicine book from the library. And um, later on, when my mom found it, we returned it. So that was a lesson in and of itself. Um, but I had a strong affinity towards um, plants and nature. Um, both of my grandmothers are um, nurses and that runs in my family and both of my grandfathers were farmers and so I think that kind of being in this natural medicine space came rather early for me. I went to Bastyr University for um, dietetics to become a dietitian, but that was because I felt my mom on my shoulder telling me to do something practical, right? Do something that you can get a job at um, and while I was there, I really wanted to do the herbal science. And so I pushed myself and I actually graduated with a double major and a minor um, in um, herbal science, nutrition, and then the minor in dietetics. So um, I entered the field of dietetics and very quickly, I already knew that I didn't really want to work in mainstream modern medicine. Um, you know, Bastyr is this bubble of uh, naturopaths and Chinese medicine practitioners and, um, you know, people who are into like maybe a more holistic way of viewing health. And so I started out in an acute care hospital just to get the run of the land. You know, you got to know what you don't know. Um, and um, as I was there, I decided that I would take a first travel job. And that was over 15 years ago. And I was probably one of the first people in my field to be a traveling medical worker as a dietitian. And I have been all of the country and all of the world. Um, I think that an important part to add in is that um, I've been a sufferer of BPD since I was a teenager. And um, 
I think the entire time while I wanted to be a healer for other people, that compassionate part of me has always been alive, is that I really was doing all these different modalities and seeking out all these different interests to heal myself, to really see how I could change. Because I knew from a very young age that my experience of the world was not healthy and not okay, and that I didn't want to continue being that way. Um, And psychedelics, um, you know, as a teenager for fun a little bit, but not really. Um, I was really careful because I also knew my mental health was like a little shaky. And I was like, oh, what if I lose my mind, right? This is like the 90s. And we all thought that we would jump out windows or um, lose our mind completely. Um, So a few years ago, um, about 2018, I was really struggling with my mental health and where I was in my life and in um, my 30s and thinking, hey, like, how do I connect? How do I like get a partner? How do I like make my dreams come true if I'm always struggling with this suicidality and these emotions that are bigger than I am? And, um, you know, trying to build relationships. And so um, I came honestly to a place of desperation and did iboga. Um, I ordered it off the internet. I did a DIY experience. Um, and I was really, I really got the miracle, but I know that that wasn't an accident either because at the time I was taking Jamie Wheel's Flow Fundamentals course um, and I was trying to figure out how to hack my um, entrepreneurship and how I could get up every day and be my best self. And at the same time, I was taking a online DBT course that's dialectical behavioral therapy. And that was teaching me skills like distress tolerance and mindfulness and interpersonal relationship. And so when I had this experience with Iboga, um, this life review happened and I had an entire quest journey. And at the end of it, I had to really unlock all these memories. And the way I unlocked them was by undoing them, by changing what was there and changing my perspective, but also changing my outcome in each one of my memories through my life review that I had. And, um, it was really profound. And afterwards, I decided that I wanted to do something that could help other people heal. Because when you get the miracle, you want people at least to have a taste of it and you know that it's possible. I am just, I, I think you might be the first person I've ever met that's given themselves iboga. Just kind of like self-heal. And I think that's amazing. Um, and especially with, along with all these complementary modalities and you know, it's. I'm sure you know more about this than I even know, but they they talk about BD, B, borderline personality disorder to be like not complementary to psychedelics. You know, there's a lot of arguments over if this is going to make people worse. And by the way, I am definitely one of those people. My whole teenage years, as I was doing a lot of drugs, I thought I would definitely be one of those people that would like turn schizophrenic and lose it all and like go the opposite direction. Um, because you know, just all so much trauma and so much, uh, instability to begin with. But back then it was just like numbing, you know, the, the numbing was really helpful, but this is really incredible. So how did then this turn into coming up with, um, you know, altered states, integration, harm reduction, like what brought you to this place of, yeah, obviously wanting to help people, but we're not all going to, let's say, festivals doing iboga. At least I hope not. But hey, who am I to judge? Um, but, you know, like, I'm curious, like, what then brought you to the harm reduction world? So I actually was already in the harm reduction world. Um, when I first graduated from um, Bastier with my degree, I found out that I liked festivals. I'd never really been. And I found out that a lot of them I could go for free if I volunteered with the medical group, which I was qualified to do with my background. And through that experience, I found out about the Zendo Project and decided that I would rather do this more helpful mental health role in um mental health crisis support than I would putting band-aids on people's blisters, which is the most common thing you do at festivals. Um, I was already, I was already in that space. And I think that that's honestly what inspired me to do Iboga because I wouldn't have known about it otherwise. And I had a lot of understanding at that point of set and setting. So when I, I had this experience with Iboga, it it was composed, it was planned. It was, um, you know, I had a sitter, it was, 
thought out. There was a time frame of contemplation between having the substance and doing the substance. Um, there was a lot of different precautions that we put in place for that situation. Um, and I'd seen kind of the magic and I'd heard um, all these different tales. And I think there was a lot of caution coming in because I'd also sat for people who were in having the worst days of their life when they come into the Zendo. That's oftentimes the worst day someone has ever had when we see them and seeing how they can turn that around or how those life lessons manifest. And then I started reading research. I, I, you know, I learned how to read journal articles in college and I just started going on PubMed and looking things up about the different um, resources that were out there. And in 2017, 2018 was not great. Not, not like it is today where we have, you know, probably double or triple the resources to, to make these decisions. Wow. What a, this story is just so fascinating to me. I mean, it's, it's really incredible. Um, I'm curious, you know, as someone who teaches integration and talks about it, and I'm sure you get a lot of, um, you know, or, or know a lot of facilitators and people that hold space, you know, what are your views on working with things, you know, iboga or not, you know, let's say um, psilocybin, right? Um, what are your views on people who are like, quote, not trained, but they're holding space, you know, that you do a certain amount of research and you're holding space for someone who really wants to take healing into their own hands. Maybe they can't get up and, I don't know, go to Jamaica and do a $7,000 retreat because of their treatment-resistant depression, but they have, you know, X grams of mushrooms that they want to take. You know, what are your views on that? Because I've actually been having this discussion a lot lately where, you know, there's, there's of course, people saying, well, you can only work with a skilled facilitator. And then there's people that remind me that there's, you know, indigenous cultures have been working with these medicines for thousands of years without any training, you know, mm -hmm. and how do we get this right? What are your views on this? I'm curious. Yeah, I think that we're actually in a really great place for people to become psychedelic professionals of one form or fashion. And I think that there's a range of what people can do um, with a DIY education, right? So um, my education is not directly psychedelic. I have a plant medicine background. I have a biochemistry background through nutrition. I have, um, you know, a background as a yoga teacher. So I've done um, meditation training. Um, I have done Zendo training. So there's a lot of different pieces that I've put together to kind of hold space for people for integration and, um, you know, for um, doing crisis support in psychedelics. I think while we don't have to have formal training, and formal training is one option, I think is a great option for people coming in with no background, right? If you have no background, you need to build skills. And that can look like doing um, first aid at minimum. Like you should know first aid, you should know CPR if you're going to work in any sort of healthcare. This is healthcare. Um, you can do um, wilderness first aid, which is a woofer through Knowles, um, which will give you better ideas of what, um, you know, uh, hypothermia looks like in a, in somebody that you would be working with. Uh, I think that the, the scary part is that there's people coming in who have very little medical skills to start with. And they also have very little experience with psychedelics and you put that together. And I think that that's the recipe for, um, harm to happen, right? So we're trying to be harm reductionists or risk reductionists, and we're trying to reduce the chance of harm. And sometimes that can happen whether we like it or not, but how do we deal with the fallout? I think that's why there's such an attraction to doing harm reduction at festivals right now is because how else are people supposed to get exposure to difficult psychedelic experiences without it being in front of them as their client, as their problem, straight off. Because that's scary that the first time that you ever have a difficult um, psychedelic experience in front of you is by yourself as a sitter when you've only done it a few times. So I think that that's where, for me, the pendulum is never on one end or the other. I think our programs like uh, Vital that are out there are really comprehensive. And at the same time, I don't think that that's also educationally accessible to a lot of people. Um, 
in the future, hopefully we'll have spiritual guides, but they're also going to know CPR and they're also going to have some reflective listening training and they're also going to have some uh, psychedelic first aid training. So I think it's about building the pieces to that are gaps in your education to making you a well-rounded individual. Mm. I, I really love this point of view, especially with, um, you know, kind of like I always see it as like the basic foundational pieces, you know, whether you're experienced for 30 something years or somewhat new and you just want to start holding space for your friends. Um, I always agree. It's like, well, you know, a proper medical intake, a proper understanding of, of people's backgrounds and a proper, you know, maybe some kind of like CPR, like the very basics. Um, to me, that's where there's like, okay, basic harm reduction um, but then, yeah, maybe not having to go through, um, a three year, $32,000, you know, psychedelic facilitator training, which, you know, I don't, <laughs> which I found recently. I didn't know this existed until the other day. Um, and I was like, well, okay. You know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I don't know if this is moving the, you know, the, the psychedelic healing forward that so many want, you know, the, the demand is so high, there's, um, you know, and more people like, like you just taking it into their own hands. Like, oh, I don't even need a sitter. Let me just take a, a bunch of four, four or five grams on my own and hope that everything's okay. I wouldn't do that, by the way, but I know people who do. I did have a sitter, just so you know. I did have a sitter. That's great. And I did have somebody who was who was trained in harm reduction who could make some of those educational calls. So I, I did make sure to have that support. And I think that's where scope of practice comes in is understanding what your scope of ability is and understanding when somebody comes to you as a sitter that is outside of your scope, right? So if somebody is not able to maintain um, daily activities of living, which we talk a lot about in medicine, then that's the line where they really do need that much safer container where they have medical personnel that can help them and, and progress them through the experience and follow them afterwards. But I think that, you know, we have to kind of be honest about our skill set. And I think that that's where my fear is. And probably what you see is where mm-hmm. we have people who have maybe done psychedelics once or twice. They had an amazing experience. They've never even had a bad experience. So that's not even on their radar. And then how, how do they know how to deal with somebody who has is going to have a bad experience in their presence and what they might do about that? Um, you know, I don't know that the fireside hotline's a great uh, backup plan. <laughs> I know. I actually, I actually end up preaching this all the time. Like know your own personal boundaries, get your ego in check, like be honest with yourself. You know, if you do a proper intake and there's a red flag that says, oh, I have this condition and you don't know anything about that, then be resourced or maybe, you know, resource, send someone to send this person out to one of your other resources. I mean, even me as a coach, I have this whole list of resources where it's like, okay, when we're getting to something that I either, you know, like maybe I know a fair amount about, but it's not my zone of genius, like I will send them to, you know, my somatic therapist friend or someone to help with um, a certain kind of trauma processing where it's, you know, it's just not in the scope that I offer. And I think this is where, and I've had so many conversations over the years about, facilitators and people holding space and, you know, underground or above ground to really um, be honest with themselves and get their ego in check. But, you know, the irony here is there's a lot of people that are just like gung ho and excited. And like you said, they they might have that one experience. It's like, I want to give this to everybody. But maybe they haven't even been put through that that ringer themselves, which I always I always wonder, I'm like, how is that possible? (laughs) Because for me, I'm always put through the ringer. But, you know, what are some issues you're seeing? Because you're, aren't you based, you're based in Colorado, right? Um, I mean, generally, I'm based out of Colorado or Texas, but generally on the road. Yeah. And it's, well, Colorado has this, it's like this epicenter all of a sudden, you know, ever since um, the proposition passed in November and now psychedelic science and, you know, with legal cannabis and now legal plant medicines. Um, You know, what are some kind of red flags that you've been seeing out there and, you know, for people to either watch out for or people just to keep in in check? Like, I know we just talked about know your limitations and boundaries, but do you have any concerns about 
where this kind of psychedelic healing space is going and, um, you know, how it might all play out. Because I I've personally, even just being in Colorado for nine days, it felt different than what I'm used to where I live. Like it, it, the energy was so different that there was just so much gung-ho excitement. But um, yeah, do you have any concerns for the, the psychedelic space right now where it's going? Absolutely. Especially here in Colorado, it is the Wild West. Um, you have people who are making products that are not properly testing them. They may not even be following like Deshay laws. Deshay is the laws that uh, supplement companies have to follow in order to make um, statements, medical statements and claims about their products. It's um, standards of purity are not there. Um, people are not doing COAs um, to test their substances, whether that be um, microdose chocolate bars or Amanita um, for all you know, you could be taking sawdust that's in a pill. This is like very like 1920s when all these like FDA laws were made. Um, I think that that's rarely where, especially as my education in nutrition comes from, is that I see this as like a reoccurrence of problems that we've had in the past um, as far as the way that we um, market these things in kind of this unregulated free market. So I think that there's a lot that consumers can do. And a lot of the education that we're trying to do is around um, people asking the right questions, whether that be um, asking for a COA for the products that you're getting, asking people where their um, sources of medicine come from, especially outside of the psilocybin world. We're talking about plants that could become endangered, that come from indigenous regions. Um, really finding the right questions to ask. If your guide or your sitter isn't asking you about your medical history, you should be asking them why they're not asking about your medical history um, and coming up with some criteria to um, be a smarter consumer. And I think that we, we know that with cars. We know to kick the tires, but we don't know how to kick the proverbial tires of a mushroom or of um, a capsule that we're being given. Oh, I'm so glad you have this view, this viewpoint from a dietitian, and you definitely know more about about these and the the labeling and the testing than probably the average person. But it is funny because that's kind of the sense I got. I um, I've told a few people this story how I was in the um, what I call the trade show area of the of psychedelic science, and someone was selling, you know, legal herbal um, I don't know, some kind of herbal product, but it had um. They were selling like kava and can canna, canna, right? Do you know this? And I said to them, I was like, well, do you know if there's any contraindications with, let's say, you know, ayahuasca or MDMA? And they, the girl that was selling them looked at me with this like blank stare. And I was like, whoa. Because I actually had a um, very uh, not pleasant experience many, 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 many years ago with an herbal medicine that I was taking before ayahuasca that no one had informed me. It was actually a contraindication and it was very, very unpleasant that could eventually have led to death. And I just found it to be really interesting that there's not even, um, you know, mind you, like maybe no testing, but even education about how this might be affecting, the other drugs that everybody's taking, you know, if people are taking MDMA or ketamine or, or you know, ayahuasca or even the ibo, ibogas, ibogains of the world. So that was quite interesting. Now, um, you know, with the work that you do with altered states integration, I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, do you do you guys end up working with a lot of people doing underground facilitation or is it more just people that come to you to be in integration circles or integration coaches? Like who is Altered States integration really serving mostly? Yeah. So we are serving a wide range of clients. Um, we have just started opening up into more of the mentorship and um, support space for people who are facilitators. We do have a quarterly group for support for facilitators. Now, I think that that's going to take a little while to get going because facilitators, one, aren't used to reaching out and being in a safe space for themselves. They're used to being very isolated. And that's why we're providing the service. As for um, 
clients who are taking psychedelics, um, we do offer a wide range. We do um, safety assessments for people. Um, we're not here to give advice, but we are to make sure that people are um, following some good guidelines that they've set together themselves. And we ask them good questions so that they can make some answers to be safer. Um, we also do a lot of integration with people who are doing ketamine therapy. Um, I find it really interesting how much um, ketamine is really not supportive of people. And as somebody in the medical field, I can imagine the scenario of you have, um, you know, Joe Smith and Joe Smith was told that he needed to go to do ketamine therapy um, from his doctor. And Joe Smith lives in Tyler, Texas. And then he's going to, you know, um, go down the road. He's going to get dropped off at the ketamine clinic. His wife's going to come pick him up later. He's going to do this thing that he doesn't really understand. He has a transformative or transpersonal experience that he doesn't really understand. As he comes to, everybody acts as if nothing happened. So he acts as if nothing happened. And and then he goes home. And then he goes onto the internet and looks up ketamine and finds out that it's psychedelic and that he had an experience that nobody told him or really clearly helped him understand. And so we end up with this um, this archetype coming into our, our circles who they're like, yeah, I came here because I did ketamine and I'm like not sure what's up. And so um, we see a lot of people like that. Um, we find a lot of people who are doing DIY healing, who are trying to be more intentional about their experiences, people both from new to the space and people who have been doing psychedelics for years recreationally and are now maybe they had a bad experience and they come into our space. So, um, you know, integration is for a wide range of, of people. And we try and provide different types of circles for different types of experiences, whether, you know, we take on hard topics and we tell people, you know, this is some of this is going to be triggering. If you're, if you've had some difficulty, people are going to talk about trauma in here and you need to take care of yourself. Mm. Wow. And by the way, this is, um, this is like the, the third story in a row I've heard about um, ketamine because I, I actually don't, I don't really work with ketamine. I haven't worked with it in many, many years, and I don't really have that many clients working in the ketamine world. But I have now heard numerous stories about people doing ketamine, not getting any support at all. Like literally, it's not even ketamine therapy. It's just getting ketamine from a provider. I don't really understand how that works without the therapy. Um, and then people have like no integration support. And like you said, these can be really life-changing, even if it's like, um, you know, people like me that come from, you know, I've spent a lot of time in the festival world working with ketamine recreationally. And it's like, oh, it's just, it's so easy. But I think people are forgetting how significant these experiences can be. And, you know, how I have heard numerous stories, and I'm, I'm sure you have about even like re-traumatization happening in these spaces, whether it's above ground, underground, you know, legal, not legal, um, DIY. Hey everyone, just a quick break to remind you that the True Path Entrepreneur Group Mastermind Program is open for enrollment now. We start at the beginning of 2024 in January, but we are starting to take applications now. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out the Mastermind webpage on my site at bethaweinstein.com slash mastermind. This is a 12-month group community-oriented mastermind program where you learn how to start, grow, and get clients in your business so that you can help more people, make a difference in the world, and do work that you absolutely love. This mastermind program is designed for new and early stage coaches, healers, psychedelic entrepreneurs, therapists, and anybody who wants to do transformational work in the world and wants to learn the exact steps you need to know to grow your business to the next level, to be able to share your unique medicine and make a difference in the world. So again, that's bethaweinstein.com slash mastermind. The True Path Entrepreneur Group Business Coaching Mastermind Program is open now. You know, let's talk about this a little about um, trauma and ethics that's happening and in, in whether it doesn't really matter if it's like the legal world or not. Um, what are some kind of overarching themes you've heard in your work over the last few years of people like having negative experiences? Is there like a reason why this might happen or is it just kind of like 
bad, bad, you know, like um, the wrong substance for them or too much of something or a facilitator that wasn't skilled or wrong set and setting. Like, what do you find the most common, like kind of, I hate to say it, but like the horror stories that you hear are? Sure. I mean, things do go wrong. Um, and that is, unfortunately, when you're working, it's like being a therapist, you hear about people's trauma, being an integration coach, you hear about people's difficult experiences on psychedelics. Um, a lot of what we hear is people having recreational use that goes a direction that they didn't think that it should. Um, that can be traced back to um, not having the substance that they thought. So, you know, substance testing can be an issue there. Um, it's, you know, part of the underground thing of having illicit substances and um, or being at an event and then maybe they took too much or they didn't like weren't ready for the dehydration that goes with being in a situation like that or maybe they had a lot of recreational use that was positive and then they go to Burning Man and it's a it's a totally different ball game and they over um, dose themselves. Um, there's definitely this theme that I hear around um, guides and sitters not being able to provide the care that people need when they have a difficult experience in ceremony. And that's really unfortunate. I think sometimes this even comes up in integration um, as a secondary piece of somebody's story where they tell they're talking about a difficult experience that they had and they happen to mention that they were held down or that their mouth was covered or that they were told not to scream. And I think that that is, um, you know, a product of having a lot more ceremonial space in the U.S. where people are doing ceremony in an apartment or they're doing ceremony in a house that's too close to other houses. So there's not room for people to have, naturally have big experiences. Big experiences are very much a part of psychedelics. And, um, you know, in a harm reduction space, we encourage people to follow that to its end. I think another thing that seems very thematic is this um, ego inflation that you were talking about earlier that really can happen um, where people are, you know, headed into a space of spiritual bypassing where they're using the substance to kind of um, be a part of something. It, they feel really positive. They have really great experiences on psychedelics, but then they come around to Monday and they're not able to manage their lives and their lives are falling apart. Maybe they fall back into existential crisis. Maybe they have problems with suicidal ideations or other substance abuse to get them through until they go to the next ceremony. So we definitely see um, that as a theme where people are um, using the medicine or overusing or abusing the medicine and they don't realize that what's happening during the medicine is what needs to be worked on after the medicine. You know, integration is the key for so many different types of transpersonal experiences. Um, the reason that we named our company Altered States Integration was because we see all altered states or transpersonal experiences as valid and opportunities for change. You can get hung up on going to yoga festivals just like you can get hung up on going to ceremony. And you can go one weekend and come home and have your, um, you know, be in the middle of a tragic divorce that you can't handle and then go back to another yoga festival and it feels all love and light. And then you go home and your world is crashing in. And so I think that that is really something that we see thematically. And I think that we'll continue to see as people come in and think this is a one and done experience, that not everybody's going to have the miracle experience that I was able to have. And in fact, it wasn't my first psychedelic experience. And it was a long journey to put all the pieces together for the medicine to do the work that it did. So I think that that's, if anything, there's a message to our community and to the people coming into our community is to realize that this is not, you know, anybody that sells you this is a one and done, that they're, they're, they're peddling snake oil. This is, you know, not the 1800s and you can't just take this elixir and be cured of whatever it is. You still have to do the heavy lifting and the psychological work that goes with it. Mm. You covered so many important points there. And I, you know, it's funny because I even hesitate to use certain language, like I don't use it, even though I've had these moments that seem miraculous, you know, but when I there's certain people or places out there that actually market their psychedelic experiences as like, come get your miracle or like, we'll we'll fix this or like, 
this is um, magic, you know? And I'm like, well, I don't think they're talking about the reality of coming back to life and integrating. And actually, it's an observation I've made um, for so long, and I've been talking about a lot lately, is, you know, this, there's, there's something about, like, going to ceremonies and the medicine. I know, because I've gone through this myself, that's like, yeah, of course it feels good, and there's a belonging, and, you know, this community that maybe isn't even a real community. They're just people coming together to do medicine a lot. And then there's life that happens in between, and what I'm seeing more and more of is people that are just it's like this constant, like, okay, ceremony this one week, and then life gets back to, you know, normal, and then they, f- they feel like crap again, and then next thing you know, it's like um, hape every day, or, you know, ketamine, or like MDMA, and then there's another ceremony, and then there's another thing, and then another, and it's just like on and on, and then they, they mix in, and I'm like, wow, there are some people I know, you know, even like DMT pens, that's the thing I keep mm. now seeing is like, People are, and they're, you know, I try to not have this judgment, but I kind of wonder how much of it is actually helping or if it's just um, this massive, like, you know, like numbing or bypassing. I mean, I don't know who am I to say what's right or wrong, but um, I think it's good to to point it out and really mention that the real integration is is within life, like was it within this presence of being alive and actually like dealing with what's at hand in your life and and hopefully learning how to manage it better versus just avoiding it with maybe a different medicine. And even the word medicine gets into this like, oh, well, if it's a medicine, it's okay. It's like you said, yoga festivals. I actually experienced this when I used to run um, marathons and ultra marathons that there was, I, I noticed it one day. I was like, wow, everybody's avoiding life by running, you know, these 50 mile races every weekend because then all you do is train and you run like, you know, hours and hours a day. And it was just this like weird, like mentality that reminded me of drugs, like, you know, abusive relationship, um, like the addiction. So I'm glad you brought this up because I think it's really important for people to understand what secondary trauma is, because I've actually heard, um, I, I've seen just kind of being in this ecosystem a lot of stories about that where it's like, okay, I wasn't allowed to express or, you know, I was put into a different room and, or yes, held or physically even um, maybe like held down to the point where you were hurt. And I've seen and heard like numerous stories about people who are actually traumatized by, like I worked with this one shaman who told me to shut up and didn't want to hear about it. And then I just, you know, went into the downward spiral of self-hate and just made things worse. That's, I don't know how that's helpful. But I want to ask you just out of my own curiosity, you know, and, and if you know much about this because of your own experience about borderline personality um, and psychedelics, because this has come up just over the years, you know, in conversation, not so much with people I, I like my clients, but what are the views on, um, you know, people with B- BPD going through psychedelic experiences? Are there like better ones than others or there, is it all about the support you have? I've heard people say like, you shouldn't even work with someone who has it. What are your, what are your views on this? Yeah, I have some really strong views on this. Uh, Let me just put it in as a caveat of something that I said earlier about people being at baseline is that there has to be some level of emotional baseline where people can manage their lives in order to be able to use um, psychedelics safely. And I think that that is a really good indication. And it's not always appropriate to be in crisis and then go into a psychedelic space. However, I just want to throw it out there that if people with BPD had ultimately had crises all the time from doing psychedelics, we would already know this from science because people with BPD tend to have extreme behaviors um, when they're in like an activated state. And those extreme behaviors are considered risky behaviors, right? Risky sex, fast driving, drug use, right? Including psychedelics. So if psychedelics were so harmful for people with BPD across the board, we would have already had so many hospital admissions from people who are like, they're like, oh, you've already been diagnosed with BPD and you took LSD and look at what happened. And that is really not statistically the case. And I think that we are moving away from that. Uh, One of the 
great talks that I went to at Psychedelic Science was specifically about new research looking at borderline personality disorder and psychedelics. I personally, from my experience, do think that there will be on down the road some connections that they find with using ibogaine for BPD as part of the addiction cycle. Because my book is called Breaking Emotional Addiction because a lot of what BPD is rumination, either on the future or the past, and being stuck in those cycles of narratives. And that's an addictive cycle. And I think that it really still activates a very similar part of your brain. So if you can have a break from that while you're making changes and have neuroplasticity for up to 40 days um, with ibogaine for your half-life of the medicine, then you have a really big opportunity to make some substantial changes. Um, now, I would love a chance to address kind of me after um, ibogaine because one of the most miraculous things for me, and I keep using that word because for me, it really was a miracle. However, the thing that was the most stunning for me was the day after I woke up from ibogaine was that my mind was quiet. And that was the rumination. That was the inner voice that was always so loud and so compelling and um, so needy and constant is that that was so much quieter and there was this lack of pull. So um, even probably it would, it probably was at least 90 days later before I even had my first SI related thought after that point in time. And I remember just kind of having it and being like, ah, that's not what I want. And like it went away. And that's so much different than what people experience of this nagging, um, cranking kind of feeling that's very visceral. And I think that that is where ibogaine will be really important for people as they move forward is to like have that relief because, um, you know, we don't even know what it's like. Most people who have these mental health problems that they've had since they were children, because these are, you know, secondary trauma, this is complex PTSD, is that there's not even a context of what a normal life looks like. And I think that that is also the struggle that people with addiction come back to, is that we come back to a place and then you're like, well, is this normal? Did I heal? And here's the thing is that, do I have some of the same tendencies I had before? Yeah, I'm still like, when I'm angry, my voice is still going to be raised. When I'm feeling inconfident or like um, that I have some sort of imposter syndrome, which is something that like I still have to deal with as a psychedelic leader. I have to definitely deal with that on a regular basis is that I still have those thoughts. It's how I deal with them and my ability to deal with them, the ability to walk past something to say, oh, I had a thought. I don't really like that thought, but I'm not going to keep that thought that you can, it's that floating down the river that you, that they tell you to experience when you're meditating, that you see the leaf floating by and then it's gone instead of having that leaf stick to your face and be stuck on there as you're trying to claw it off, um, which is the experience I think that you have when you have difficulties with mental health. Wow. This is, it's so incredible. And I'm so glad that you, we got to talk about this because, you know, um, I feel like, thank God, there's so much more research coming out. But to hear this perspective, because I think there's such a quick to judge in the psychedelic space of like, oh, well, that person has this. Don't don't give them something or they did that or they had this one, um, you know, episode four years ago. You know, it's like, <laughs> um, what other things can we take into account for looking at this holistically for, you know, potential for healing? Um, and I just find this so fascinating because, of course, I've had clients that have dealt with it and um, worked with psychedelics. And, you know, I've always wondered, like, is this helping or making them worse? And maybe it just depends on the integration and all the other the therapeutic modalities that they have. And like you said, I, I'm actually a be big believer in, you know, I don't believe that our trauma gets like you know, healed to this point where it's like never going to bother us again. I believe it's just more, it gets us to a place of like, oh, I'm functioning so much better than I ever have. Now when something comes up and triggers me, it, you know, floats on by versus, you know, this, this quest. And I, I feel like I see this a lot with psychedelics. There's this quest to just like get rid of everything because everybody wants to feel happy all the time. And it's like, well, there's this human experience, you know, and I think it isn't about like not feeling bad or not getting angry or not having episodes. It's more about like getting it into a healthier check to 
you know, have a flourishing life. And I always remind people these, these medicines aren't here to just like fix you and make you into some like perfect, you know, whatever that is perfect human. I would love to, you know, meet whatever people think is a perfect human. I was saying like, even mother Teresa wasn't perfect, you know? Um, but I, I really love hearing about this. Now I'm curious when you, back when you chose to work with the iboga, had you already tried to intentionally heal the disorder with other medicines? Like why? I'm just curious, like why the iboga other than, trust me, I've been on the verge of doing it for years. I'm like, one of these days I'll get up the nerve. But and because of that reason that it's been known to be like this master healer. But is there a reason why it came to iboga? Yeah, it definitely was a choice. Um, and I had experimented with um I mean, I had already had about 10 years of uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, and it honestly, it, it got me very far. So I really do highly recommend people move into that modality. If you're having behavioral and emotional issues, it, you need those skills. You have to work the skills before um, the medicine's going to have much room to work. However, when I had experimented with other medicines, um, like I did some microdosing or mini dosing with LSD. I did some um, learning Spanish with LSD. Some, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I really recommend doing um, a film you love in another language. So it's a film, like I watched Star Wars several times because I know all the words to it. And then you watch it in Spanish um, on a, you know, a museum dose of I know LSD. I have a Spanish lesson tonight, literally. I'm going to try that one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yo hablo espanol ahorita. So I, something worked a little bit. <laughs> um, but uh, when it came around to feeling like there was this endless emotion roller coaster that I was on and that I couldn't get off of. Um, I did work a little bit with psilocybin with some intention and some therapeutic benefit. It really helped me unpack things, but it didn't give me, I think, the neurological break that iboga does. And I think that that's why it's so special. And I think that we'll find that the different psychedelics work for most people in some similar ways in what they do neurologically. And I, I so, sought it out for two reasons. One, on a spiritual level, um, ayahuasca, which I still have never done, is very much about, um, I feel like, going out into the universe. You meet beings that are outside of yourself. You meet the, um, the grandmother, right? And that is kind of more of an outward experience. Knowing that I have this childhood trauma and this complex PTSD, I was really attracted to Ibogaine because it was had the life review, right? I had questions about my childhood that I can't remember. And I was like, oh, do I have some specific sexual trauma? Is there things that happened to me that I don't remember? And that's what happened to me because I'm actually a – the way I would see it is I, my complex PTSD is a product of um, bullying and a – um, unstable, like coping model, right? Um, from my parents. And so that's not like a big T trauma, right? There's not like something that was like a moment in time or several moments in time. And so I was curious about that. So life review was really um, interesting to me. The second part was that I felt like that from my research that there was more of this grandfather element to um, iboga. And I've really felt like that is part of my life that's missing. I'm very, um, in an astrological sense, I'm very much cancer, right? That's, that is my astrological sign. I'm the, you know, I'm the caretaker, I'm the mother, but I'm also the emotional roller coaster that people expect from that. And so I thought that that was an energetic that I would like to lean into. Um, and then, of course, there is this addiction side of things where my understanding of chemistry and neurochemistry just made me feel like, hey, if I can give myself an opportunity to not be addicted, because I do very much feel like there's this propensity to want and to delve into these negative emotions. It's not just that these negative emotions are happening to you, that at some point, I think with with my BPD is that I would thrive in it. It's like, oh, this crushing pain. I'm going to like dig it deeper, right? And so um, I thought that that was something that really sounded interesting um, to me. Um, and I think that in a sense of access, 
um, it felt more accessible to me um, as somebody who was going to do a DIY experience um, than ayahuasca. I don't know that that's now my knowledge base is different. And I don't know that that even means anything anymore. That that's, that was just, you know, the um, naivety of, of, of knowledge right there. Wow. I'm so glad you share this. I, I really am because I think so many people maybe wouldn't, wouldn't be up for sharing this out in public, but I actually think this is really important. You know, there's so many people that suffer out there and, you know, not to say people should go do this on their own, but just to get a sense of, you know, like the, 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 the spirit behind it, you know, like you said, like that addictive, um, feeling like I've had this so much where it's like, I've questioned, I'm like, am I just addicted to some form of suffering? You know? And I think a lot of us are, you know, whether it's like diagnosed as something or not, I say this a lot in clients where it's like, I have to work with clients over and over to help them reprogram the, you know, their, their inner state of being to feel safe enough to allow things to actually be okay. You know, not even to be good, but like, okay, you know, like it is okay to receive okayness, you know, it's okay to allow yourself to be taken care of, you know, just so many of these deep societal problems that I think, um, you know, that run in so many of us, especially by the way, I mean, I'm sure you would agree women. I work with a lot of people in, um, you know, the nursing world, caretaking spaces, doulas, you know, um, end of life care. And there's very often this imbalance, you know, and I've, I've seen what happens after many, many years where there's this, this struggle or even getting sick or even just, um, like, Hey, there, there's something up and I don't know what it is. And it's like, well, you know, like look at this like history of the pattern and how it runs in the background of your life. So thank you for sharing it because I think it's so important that people hear our personal stories of, of how we've healed and how we've worked on this and that it is this ongoing integration. Um, so Elizabeth, I want to give you a chance to talk about, you know, what you're up to with altered states, what you're up to personally. I know you're in, um, your coaching school, like what's, what's next for you in the next, like, you know, six to 12 months. Oh, so much. Um, I have to say the the best part of reaching this level of healing for me is that I have all that time I used to spend being stressed or ruminating about things to work on projects. Um, and so it, it is pretty amazing. Um, next, the very next thing for us is um, heading out um, to do harm reduction at Burning Man. Um, that's just our annual gift. Super excited to be doing that. And, you know, I think it keeps me fresh in the world of being exposed to psychedelics. Um, Toby and I don't do psychedelic experiences at this point in our organization. In the future, we'd like to have um, some sort of a legal retreat, but that's the direction that we're heading. Um, for me, I'm finishing up coaching at Lumia, which is really exciting. So um, hopefully this fall, I will be internationally um, coaching federation accredited or um, certified to be a coach, which I think is a really great skill because it's even as someone who um, is not necessarily into advice giving, it really has helped me figure out how to bring out the best out of my clients, which I'm really excited to do. Um, this fall, we are doing our fifth or sixth cohort of start to finish integration circle course and leadership workshop, where we are um, bringing in people to um, learn about what it means to hold space as a psychedelic leader. So we have people who have started integration circles. We have people who have started psychedelic clubs or societies. And we really want to kind of bring in this lower level entry into the psychedelic field, right? I'm not training you to be a facilitator. I'm not training you to be a coach. Actually, all I'm training you to do is to be a peer and how you, you know, how to look at ethics. I mean, this is something that we are really um, leaning into over and over is like, what is the standard in our field? Like, how can we bring up this standard of how people relate? What is conflict of interest? Um, how are, you know, how are you going to deal with the illegal versus the legal substances that are going to be in our communities? Um, and then really kind of delving into what it means to work with difficult people. Because one of the things that I think is a danger in our field is that we have this love and light kind of 
side perspective that kind of creeps into all of these organizations. And people want to be um, wholesome, but when people are difficult in their you know, in their room or in their integration circles or in their clubs, they don't really know have the skills to deal with that. And it's really important because I think that anybody that's coming to this space, I really want to acknowledge that they are coming here for healing. People are coming here because they have problems. Coming here for healing means I have problems and I'm trying to work through them. It doesn't mean that they have the skills to work through them. It doesn't mean that they have the guidance to work through them. And so as leaders in this space, we have to be ready to be role models and to help people figure out how there's a pathway to making mistakes and then to coming back into community. And so really our focus um, for the next probably 12 months or even probably the rest of my life is helping people learn how to build community, setting standards for community, teaching people how to deal with difficult people, right? Uh, Talkative Tammy is going to come to your group. She's welcome. (laughs) But we do need to know how to keep her, um, you know, within our guidelines. And so um, that's really what we're looking at is to to kind of focus on those things. Personally, um, I'm hoping in the next 12 months to write more of a nutrition course around psychedelics, thinking about like what kind of herbal medicine is complementary, what isn't, talking about interactions like we talked about earlier, um, and really giving people um, an idea of how nutrition and health really play a part in things like, um, you know, healing from mental health. And, you know, I, I don't know if you know this, Beth, but They've done some recent studies on people with um, IBS, IBD, Crohn's, and colitis, and they are finding that better than 90% of people with those diseases can identify a tra- like a big T trauma that happened to them um, earlier on in their life. And so I think that, well, it's, it doesn't mean you can think your way out of these problems. It does mean that there is this... Um, psychosomatic element that we really have to address. And so, um, you know, a professional goal of mine is to get dietitians a seat at the psychedelic table because, you know, if you're going to a retreat center, you need somebody to teach these um, elements and to address vitamin deficiencies. Um, People with cravings, uh, craving for food is like a craving for water is like a craving for alcohol is like a craving for chromium when you are short. And so um, really addressing these things is so important um, to me and for us to elevate those um, conversations. I I am a huge fan of this, by the way, because I <clears throat> I personally just went through something where I was really after actually it was after psychedelic science I was really low on electrolytes from being sick. Um, I had like this really strange sickness that I think was caused by a spider bite because I found this gigantic spider bite on me. And thankfully, my herbalist who I work with, who's also like Chinese medicine and you know just very well studied, also is a a medicine man, you know, who understands interactions and how medicine affects us. But, you know, I I actually have been saying this for a long time. I'm like, I don't think a lot of people or especially even facilitator, more facilitators are not aware of how just even simple things in our diet. And there I was going to Peru to work with medicine while, while also like feeling this kind of imbalance in my body. And thankfully I knew my body enough, but I was like, wow, you know, if I hadn't known that and I hadn't had him, I probably would have been just like wrecked or miserable or maybe even sent to the hospital there. And I knew how to deal with it and take care of it and drink certain teas and certain herbs. But um, I think people forget how much like, you know, these medicines really affect us and vice versa. Like you said, like, um, you know, traumas connected to chronic symptoms or even someone I know just said, you know, I have anxiety. What helps? And of course, there's 20,000 comments on this Facebook post. And I was like, well, are, do you drink caffeine? You know, like something super simple. Like, let's start with the very basics first, you know, like the the diet, the even me, like I've noticed over the years, even water intake, if I'm dehydrated, like I don't, I'm like in a weird mood. I don't sleep well. I wake up more at night, you know, super simple. So I would love, please let me know when that's out. I think this would be so important for um, space holders and people who are working with medicines to have these dietary you know, just kind of like a guide of understanding what they could do or what is an interaction and what works and what doesn't work. So 
I can't wait for that. And um, yes, we will have the links right here in the show notes to the Altered Integrations offerings. I know you guys have these amazing trainings for integration circles. And I said, I'm going to start sending clients to your trainings um, because, yeah, I don't know anyone else who's actually teaching people how to how to create these communities. And I do believe in this is like we have to be healing in community. This is the whole point. You know, we can't do this by ourselves. The integration process is not a solo experience. It's a human relation. You know, it's like we are part of the earth and part of each other. And we need to be able to, you know, relate and not shut people out or kick people out of circles or cancel people because they're totally different than you. You know, it's like, this is the human experience. So I'm so glad you guys are teaching this and standing for this. And thank you so much for the harm reduction work you do. Yeah. So important. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate it. We're just out here trying to create something different because we can't create something different by following the old ways. And we have to we have to come up with new ways of being if we follow the old corporate models or the um, standard American way of being, then we're going to get the same results. So we're really out here trying to figure out um, to do something different. Um, and we love collaboration. So, um, you know, it's really exciting being on your podcast. And then for other people that are seeking us out to, you know, we don't know the answer, but we're here having a conversation because that's what, you know, ethics is. That's what the future is. It's about creating a conversation where we can be open and change and change our minds and discuss what's possible. Because if we don't, then none of it's possible. Exactly. Aww. So good to have you on. Everybody will have our links right here. Be sure to check out Altered States Integration. Thank you so much for your time, Elizabeth. It was so good to have you. Thank you so much, Beth. You have a good afternoon. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're feeling inspired, I'd appreciate it if you showed your love with a review. And check out my YouTube channel where you can find the video version of this podcast. You can also head to BethAWeinstein.com to learn more about me and grab my free business growth trainings. Remember, you carry your own unique medicine and your medicine is what we need for these times. 